You're tuning into the Making Impact podcast with me, Mark Gregson, uh, where we get the opportunity to shine a light on some of the great occupiers within our building. For me, impact working stands for certain things and our core values are at the heart of everything that we do. Um, those values being social cohesion, mental well-being, and sustainability. We've only been going for 12 months, a relatively new business, although we'll be expanding across the UK throughout 2022 and 2023. It's my first attempt in the hot seat and for me, impact working was about taking positive and negative experiences from 16 years in the industry and uh, trying to put a few things right. We'll get the opportunity to talk with several of our occupiers and we'll be talking about the culture within their businesses, what's important to them, their company values, ultimately why they chose to be based out of impact working and what the future holds for them. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Make an Impact podcast. I am Mark Gregson, the CEO of Impact Working. And today I have Matt Wilkins, who's joined me from uh, Peak Mind, one of our members on site at Spectrum in Bristol. So welcome, Matt. Thank you, for, uh, thank you for joining us. Can I start off by kind of trying to understand uh, your why? Can I like Peak Mind? Tell us a little bit about the business and kind of what, what you guys do. So... Uh, thanks for tuning in. My name is Matt, like Mark said. So I, it goes a bit back further back than like what is Peak Mind and how it started. Um, so mental health or mental illness was around me from quite a young age. So both my parents actually suffered with mental illnesses. So my dad had PTSD and my mom had clinical depression. Mm-hmm. And as a young kid, you don't really know what's going on. You just know they're not happy and you want to be able to try and fix them or you want to you know, try and be able to to help them in some way. And when you don't have the skills to do that, obviously it's quite sad. So I kind of grew up in a mental health environment without even realizing. Fast forward to when I get to the age of 19, I ended up going to Australia and studying the equivalent over there. So community services and counseling and found myself drawn to this field. So I was in the mental health field for maybe eight or nine years. And it was about the ninth year I started working with homeless people. So I was working with rough sleepers that had addiction dependencies. Uh, so I was an, out, an outreach counselor. I was giving them counseling around their drug and drug and alcohol kind of concerns. And what I was finding was a lot of the people I was working with used to be recruiters, used to be engineers. I even worked with a guy that was an aircraft engineer um, from one of the top kind of aircraft companies. And it kind of made me realize like how and why, or made made me kind of ask the question, how and why did you end up here? Mm -hmm. So that coupled with my, you know, my parents uh, and my own lived experience uh, suffering with mental illness as well, kind of led me on this journey of like more needs to be done around prevention, around awareness, you know, trying to educate people before they get to that point. Because a lot of the stories I was hearing when I was on the street uh, and in in the counseling rooms were... I never thought this would happen to me mm-hmm. was the constant kind of like the constant, the theme. It was like, if you'd asked me two years ago, if I'd be on the street, I'd have been like, yeah, absolutely. You know, you're not, definitely not. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And I found that it, there was a lot of common similarities. There was relationship breakdowns, uh, maybe loss of jobs, lack of community was a big one. So uh, something traumatic would happen in someone's life. They didn't have the community there to support them. And so, yeah, I just, I wanted to create an organization and step away from the clinical side and start to go into like more of an educational, 
preventative side. So that's where Peak Mind kind of came from. I, I it's interesting you say the preventative side as well, because from conversations that we've had, and it's kind of very true. I think I find that with with mental health seems to be the one thing kind of connected to the health of your body. You only kind of tend to do something about it when it's broken. It's not like you kind of go into the, you know, I think you use the analogy of kind of going to the gym and sort of stretching and warming up before you exercise, but you only kind of tend to kind of attack, men, you know, any mental health kind of issues that you've got when it's, you, you're quite far down the path, right? It's not, it's maybe something yeah. you don't see coming. It's maybe something you don't know how to do something about it. Or you say like, oh, I'm absolutely fine. You refuse to acknowledge there's yeah. a problem. But hundred percent. And from, from my own mental health i i had burnout i think when i was 23 and i, I became very mentally unwell uh i actually tried to take my own life which i'm i, I, I actually am proud to talk about because we need to normalize these kind of conversations mm-hmm. um and again when you're going down that road like you said a lot of people they either have healthy or unhealthy coping mechanisms we all have mental health you wouldn't have like we all have mental health you know it's part of part of our you know overall psyche you've got mental health and physical health and like you said going to the gym working out i mean that has a positive effect on your mental health but i think what a lot of people find is when things get hard learn behaviors yeah you know maybe things they might have done in the past to cope with that unhealthy coping mechanisms start to come out Mm -hmm. so for a lot of people that could be drugs it could be you know alcohol it could be overworking it could these things to try and cope and then it kind of can end up making the the situation worse and i think that was happening with a lot of my ex-clients hmm. they'd gone on this spiral and they found themselves in this in a situation that they you know never couldn't thought, break the yeah. habit couldn't kind of get out of the cycle 100 percent, yeah so now with with the preventative side with peak mind it's i go into kind of any organization i, I get targeted a lot by corporate organizations mm-hmm. um i feel there's a lot of burnout in, in in a lot of organizations and i offer various different services so i offer stress management uh, and self-care workshops which are two-hour workshops which is focused on the individual so it's not necessarily about supporting someone else. It's about supporting yourself. Because if you can't support yourself, how are you going to be able to support someone else? So we really like look at, at stress, what it is. And mm-hmm. people leave with a toolbox of how to better look after themselves. So that's yeah. one of the things that I offer. I think a shameless plug for me as well. I know that Matt, um, Matt offers men- free mental health workshops for all of our occupiers within the building. So, uh, and I think that's, we'll kind of come on to our values in a second. That's really important to us that we kind of, you know, we, we, we kind of doing what we, what we kind of said we'd do when we set out, when we launched the business. Sorry, I'm totally good. Yeah, sure, yeah, no, yeah, hundred percent. And that is, I mean, like I say, we can, I'll talk a bit, a bit about that in a second, my experience, um, being fortunate enough to be able to do that in for impact. Um, so yeah, I offer self-care stress management, um, indirect counseling, which is a day's course where people learn soft counseling skills. Again, it could be directed at anybody. A lot of leaders, uh, like this course because they might be quite KPI driven, but sometimes we need to be emotive. Mm-hmm. It's a day long course. Um, and it, yeah, it teaches people the soft counsel skills to have those difficult conversations that shouldn't be difficult if you have the skills. And at the top, I have a me- accredited mental health first aid. So this is a two day course. You get a national accreditation out of it lasts for three years. And this is the kind of the bread and butter really teaches people crisis and non-crisis situations, everything from depression, anxiety, but the crisis for that is, you know, suicide and panic attacks. It really kind of gives people a, a very hands-on approach to support someone if they're not mm-hmm. doing well mentally, which I love because it should be treated the same as, as uh, physical health. So yeah, and that kind of makes sense. Can I ask, like, I know there's uh, there's there's a lot been written about, like from from a mental health kind of point of view. It seems serious issues to be kind of skewed towards 
guys rather rather than rather than kind of girls or, or ladies. I don't know if that's like kind of it's interesting before you mentioned recruitment because it's uh, you know it's, it's KPI driven. You know, and if you kind of look at very often the typical recruiter, young guy, you know, probably naturally quite extrovert, high pressure sales environment. You know, he's kind of, you know, there's a lot of machismo yeah, that kind yeah. of goes on in those kind of environments. You know, there's pressure to be, you know, the, the stand up guy, the funny one, the one who can drink more than anyone else. And, you know, I, I think kind of in my personal experience, you know, I, I, I probably bracket myself there at some points in my life. But, you know, is, is that, do you kind of find sort of similar in your line of work? Yeah. I mean, I know it can affect everyone. It, I really yeah, so I'll start, type, yeah, but. I'll start by saying it can affect every anybody and everybody. So, you know, clearly males, females. I'll talk about me, me, men's mental health, and I love talking about men's mental health. Like I shared a second ago, I've struggled myself, and I'm vulnerable enough to share that with people because it's like giving people a permission slip to say, "Well, I've suffered. Here you go. If you want to go and talk to someone else about it, you can." Because mm-hmm. I'm okay to talk about it. I think what we've got to realize is, yeah, in, in, in there is still a culture. I thought moving back from Australia where I was living for 10 years uh, this January and coming back here that I, I didn't know what the, the the landscape would look like in this, but yeah, it's, it still needs a lot more work. Mm-hmm. There's um, still a lot of stigma around talking. Uh, there's still a lot of the man up culture. Like if someone is struggling or just is, don't. Is Australia behind the UK or is there like, you know, a lot of practice. I know it's, it strikes me as the sort of place where like men are men, everyone plays sport, you know, it's uh, <laughs> like, is there, is there a kind of comparison? It's a, t- a it's a tough one. I was living on the West Coast and the amount of lived experience speakers, so lived experience, meaning people that have suffered with mental illness, mm-hmm. go out and share their story. The amount of men that are doing that is actually quite a lot for the the, the, for the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's still, there's still issues over there as well, but I think the biggest thing that we've got to understand is that um, it is still a big issue within, within the male community. It's the number one killer of men 50 and under suicide. Mm not heart disease, not cancer, not all these things. So when you say like, is there still a culture? I mean, that statistic wouldn't be there if there wasn't still a bit of that culture, because maybe if people could, maybe if men felt like they could speak to, or people, it might not even be about speaking to people, but having the skills, which is what I'm trying to offer to organizations, having the skills. So say, I'll give you a scenario, like you come in and you, you, you speak to, you come up to me and you say, Matt, I'm really, really struggling with my finances and, you know, it's, money's coming in, money's going out. If I was to say to you, oh, I've got a really good budget, Mark, here you go, you can use it, it really saved me. A lot of people say, oh, you've been a good mate. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that might be nice, but what you're doing there is you're actually closing down a conversation. Mm-hmm. So by doing, by educating yourself, you know, on, on these topics, you might turn around and say, it sounds like you're going for a bit of a tough time at the moment. Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell me more? then you might have an awkward space, which even me as a qualified counselor, like I would sometimes be in a therapy session after wait 50 seconds for the other person to speak. Like my vein on my head would be going about to speak <laughs> and then they'd open up and that's that same thing. And you might then turn around 50 seconds later and say, well, it's not actually finances. You know, I just not been feeling myself for the last two weeks and I don't know whether my wife's in love or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. And then that really opens up a beautiful space mm-hmm. And you can still do it. The one thing I, I, I reiterate here, you can still do it in a ladsy environment. We could have that conversation down the pub. Mm-hmm. I could say, you, you know, are you the, am I the first person you've told? I could signpost to the doctors. I could ask that question, you know, have you been having thoughts of suicide? Are you think about, it? you can ask all those things. Mm-hmm. And if the conversation has ended and you've made a bit of a plan, I always talk about duty of care mm-hmm. for friends and family. If you've made a plan, there's a duty of care for your friend. You can then say, come on then, let's have a beer. 
when we meet each other next Friday, I'm going to check in with you again to see if we've actually done what you said. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to be this big, scary thing. Mm -hmm. But going back to the stigma, I think it is still a big, scary thing for some people to talk about. It's getting better, but I think... Yeah, I, I can agree. I'm still absolutely a work in progress. It's only really in the last kind of few years that you know, kind of approaching 42, that I've started to talk about things. And you know, I, I don't know. I find it kind of quite liberating. I kind of find it quite healthy. Yeah. Interesting. You say with sort of stigma, and this is this is. I'm going to ask you a, a kind of a, a, a put you on the spot type of question. If you were to go into, let's say, a company, and let's say your point of contact was to train up their head of HR. On, on being a mental health first aider. So like an additional string to their boat. What's the kind of one or two things that you kind of say to them in terms of either picking up signs as to when to recognize kind of maybe staff or people are, are kind of struggling within the business? And, and you know, are, are there any, is there any advice you kind of offer them for helping to kind of break down stigma in terms of encouraging people of their own accord to kind of come forward and talk about stuff? Yeah, so I think... One thing I've noticed since being over here, so like you said, if you were to go into a, an organization and train up a mental health first, a, a HR manager, first of all, for that first bit, I'd say I always used a rule of thumb in Australia, 10% of the organization. There is a lot of people in England that are only training up one mental health first aid, and that's great because one is better than none, but straight mm. away, I'd probably be training up more mm. uh, so that person doesn't feel so um, consumed. In terms of looking for signs, it's very individual. Mm-hmm. I don't work with that person. So I, in the clinical world, it would be baseline. So say if someone, that all, a lot of my clients had severe mental illnesses, mm-hmm. uh, schizophrenia, all, all these kind of illnesses. And we talk a, a thing about um, a thing called baseline. So from someone else, the general public, they might be like, oh, this person doesn't look too well. Mm-hmm. But for us, that might be their baseline. That's that's them doing quite well. So say if we were in the office and and I'd done a course with the HR manager and I didn't know you, but the HR manager did, I'd be looking at the baseline. So say if Mark comes to work and he's usually dressed well, yeah, he's usually got a spring in his step, you know, he's usually, um, you know, hygienic. Mm-hmm. If that drops, okay, you know, there's been a change in, in appearance, mm-hmm. absent, you know, absenteeism. Like if you stop coming to work and you're very punctual, changes in, you know, appearance, personality, if someone's, you know, a bit of a pessimist mm-hmm. and they're quite down and that's them and they've always been like that, that might just be them. But if someone, you know, is... Just like a notable shift in how they Yeah, behave. a notable shift in, in their behaviour. And, it, and it's having the courage to actually uh, explore those conversations, which mm-hmm. is what you learn in, in, in a lot of the courses I offer. And I'm not trying to plug my courses, but it's such a big topic to talk about in 15 minutes. Like that's why it's a two day course. You can't shamelessly plug your yeah, courses. But that's, but, that's, I mean, but that's why it's a, this, this podcast is about you to be yeah. fair. So yeah. but that's why it's a two day course because in that, and even then you could do it for a week. Like, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think if I was to give any advice, so I trained up a group of superintendents for a big engineering company in Australia and they didn't, they didn't get told they were going to be doing it. They kind of came to work and they said so they had to count, they had to like block out all their calendars. And I knew that when they first started, they were a bit, I could be doing other things. Mm-hmm. By the second day, it was great because they were having conversations between themselves like, oh, well, actually last time I did the appraisal with so-and-so manager or team leader, I actually noticed this thing in her. And I just thought she was just pissed off with me, but I probably should explore that. Yeah. Again, it's, like physical first aid, mental health first aid has an action plan as a step-by-step way of doing it. Unlike physical first aid, you don't have to start from the top and go to the bottom. You can use it in any order. And by using 
these whether it's open ended uh, questions or these conversations that you learn, it's duty of care. Yeah. So when I go into organisations and I speak to the HR manager, I am very big on, and I think it's because in my line, old line of work before going into prevention, I worked in crisis. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my clients were at risk of, you know, taking their life or these kind of things. So for me, it's like, even though I'm not in crisis anymore, I really hammer home. Well, the duty of care. I have three friends in England, two in Australia that I message every week. Mm -hmm. I don't do it for myself to make myself feel better. I do it because I'm consistent. And I know that all three over here and two in Australia have had suffered with mental health. Yeah. Duty of and care. I suppose by doing that, by doing that, you you kind of reducing the possibility of it becoming a crisis management situation because you're not letting it get that far. Hundred percent. You're giving them the space and the opportunity to talk, but then it it goes back around to the base of my pyramid, which is self care and stress management. If you're not managing your own stress, yeah, it's hard to actually then support other people. So I'll have weeks where I might be struggling, mm -hmm. so I might you know, take myself off for a sauna or do whatever I do to make me feel better so I can have the, you know, enough room in my cup to actually... We can do it down the pub, but I'll take you for a point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's definitely um, consistency. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Something which, well, I mean, kind of from the second we kind of first met, I mean, we're very much a kind of culture and values-led business. You know, it was the kind of one thing we kind of wrote down on kind of paper where you didn't want to deviate from, you know, even before we'd incorporated the company. I mean, our three core values are social cohesion, well-being, sort of mental and physical, yeah. and sustainability or, or the kind of natural environment. So we very much kind of a values-led business. And I think kind of for, for us, it was kind of really important that if if things that we kind of do as a business or, or events that we offer to our to our members or to our occupiers or things we kind of do physically within the building, if it doesn't kind of fit within each of those three buckets of our core values, we, we don't tend to do it. You know, and I think kind of at the moment in a world of kind of greenwashing and wellness consumerism, it's, it's, it's important for us that we kind of do those things. So I think kind of for us, it was quite a natural kind of partnership because now, you know, we, we actually offer effectively kind of free, free access to a kind of counsellor on site. So we are really kind of putting an emphasis or a duty of care, if you like, on, on the well-being of our occupiers. Really interested to understand your values, mm -hmm. or rather, rather than kind of pigeonhole it as values. Like, what's what's what what kind of things do you really hold like dear or personal to you, and like and, and why? Uh, well, the, I'll give you my values, like of, of yeah. the organisation. So, openness, kindness, uh, consistency, and education. Which I I I'm when I say education, it's it's I'm I really struggled in school. I've got ADHD. It's not like everybody should be highly educated. Education kind of links into awareness. So yeah, education. Uh, and that that wraparound is uh, destigmatization as well. So it's those four with the wraparound of destigmatization. So for me, I was saying some, this to someone earlier. It's like, we can talk about mental health all we want. We can, we can, you know, which is great. We can speak out to people, which is great. But if you don't know how uh, what to do with that information... Mm -hmm you could miss out on really life-changing outcomes. Yeah. So for me, my values are, I just want to essentially as, as a, as an organization now in prevention, I basically just want to bring awareness to people that, you know, it's okay. I know it's a bit cliche. It's, you know, the whole okay to not be okay, but it's okay to speak, you know, to other people. It's okay yeah. to be vulnerable. When I was in my counseling role, what do you reckon the first thing that men would say to me when they, uh, um, when I, 
would have their first session? Or what, what, what do you think the first thing that men would do when I had the first session, 90% of the time? I would say they probably would say something to their effect of, I'm not sure why I'm here. Like, we refuse to acknowledge, you know, there's like, I, I don't think we really need to talk. Like, I'm, you know, they yeah. made an assumption that they're okay. They don't... There was an aspect of that with, with some people, but majority of the time at the beginning or some point, they'd start crying. Yeah. And after they started crying, they'd, they'd apologize. I'm sorry. Yeah. And it's like, even in that, it's just like, so I just want to break down the fact that like, you're, it's okay to feel your emotions. You're not your emotions. So like, I worry, yeah, that's one of the things that I'm really passionate about, like breaking down that and just making, making people aware that, you know, it's, it's all right to actually reach out and ask for support and, and, and linking it back to. It's great to see our members, by the way, could have seen them now, could have come in and talking to you and open it up a bit more. So that's kind of. Yeah. And I've, I've had, you know, like I'm, I'm not, I've seen, not, not going to name names or anything, but I've had people come up to me and I've gone for coffees with people and it's, uh, I've done two workshops so far. I've got another one in August. It's beautiful to actually see people come and it's beautiful to see on the first session, um, the 45 minute session I ran, there was people from different organizations within the co-working space. And I was just stood there at the front of the room and they were talking amongst themselves about COVID and their experiences. And it's just like, this is what we need. Like, do you know what I mean? It's not yeah. even me. Like you don't even need me really. Like you just need to provide a safe space, yeah. stick mental health on the door and people might just debrief. They might just have a chat for an hour about how things have been quite tough and they might leave feeling like, okay, well, I'm not in, I'm not the only one in that boat. You yeah, know what I mean? Makes sense. It's interesting to hear some of the uh, like industry verticals as well. You're going to talk into, because I think kind of go back to the 10, 15 years, you know, maybe the assumption would be if you're a company that kind of produces kind of vegan candles, you're probably going to be really in tune with kind of mental health, but you're kind of going into recruitment firms, as you say, engineering firms, legal practices, banks, like corporate is jumping into this. It's not, you know, yeah. it's it's not for people that want to sit in circles and hold hands. It's, it's yeah. very real. And I think the thing with that is it's quite tough because getting a decision maker to tick off to actually um, bring me in can be a challenge sometimes because we all have a thing called a frame of reference and that's basically our window of the world and how we see things. So, you know, they may not have had any direct experience of mental illness. They, you know, they, their frame of reference might be completely different, but that doesn't mean, and that's okay for them to have a different frame of reference, but that doesn't mean the staff underneath them might need that support. You know, like there could be an employee that grew up in a council estate, uh, had like a hard time in a low socioeconomic area, and would really, really benefit from some self-care training or whatever. So it's really trying to get into organizations and 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 speaking their language. If you do this, there's going to be less absenteeism. I think it's it's in the billions how much organizations lose a year due to mental health. Yeah. You know, we can ring up our our, our work and say, oh, I've got a bit of a dodgy tummy. But people at people can't do that when it comes to mental health. People mm-hmm. can't say, oh, you know, I'm 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 struggling a bit. And you know, I think that culture you know, potentially needs to change to some degree in some organizations. Yeah. And there was one company I saw and I can't remember the name slips my mind and it was, uh, they actually saw that actually they offered mental health days to their team. I, if you phone up and just say, I'm struggling today, they'd be like, cool, that's okay. Take time, do what you need to do. Yeah. And like no questions asked. And that was kind of, I think, kind of really progressive. I think you'll start to see more companies doing that kind of stuff. 100%, um, definitely. And I think I've been blessed that I've worked in social sector organizations before doing this. So my supervisor in Australia, I could just text him, I'm not coming in today. And then we used to have supervision every two weeks because I was counseling people. And he'd check in with me then and be like, everything going all right. Oh, I was just really stressed because of the caseload at the moment. I didn't sleep. His response would be in his deep raspy voice, 
make sure you look after yourself, Matt. It wouldn't be like, Matt, why didn't you, why didn't you still come in? It's just sleep. Yeah. And I felt, and do you know what? When I went to work at, at this, I was working at the biggest rehab in Australia. I, obviously I specialize in addiction and I'd want to work harder because mm -hmm. I knew that Greg, his name is, I knew that Greg respected me and I loved him. Yeah. And we had this mutual bond. So it's like, I can understand the alt alt other argument. There is an argument of, could people take advantage of this? So there is a gray area. I'm not denying that. Yeah. I think if you use it honestly and loyally, like it's, it would be really beneficial to some people because you can see physical health. You can yes. see when someone's broken a leg. You can see when someone physically vomits. You can't see when someone is depressed. You can't see when someone is highly anxious or mm. is about to have a panic attack or anything like that. And, you know, I think that's why with, impact and me coming back from australia and then coming into this environment it's been really nice because but the stars aligned didn't they i think it was anna that kind of yeah we kind of met didn't we over linkedin and it's kind of really nice it's kind of become this kind of thing and a, a permanent fixture in the building for us definitely well. and a friendship definitely it's, it's it's uh it's been awesome and i think i was lucky in australia we didn't have much of a pandemic so straight away i'm coming into an environment where people have had two years of of, of like you know not a, not a good time yeah so then being in a co-working space where there's other people, you know, not just their own team, but they can have a chat with someone around the coffee machine and, you know, they can impact's amazing. They have a social every month. They have a summer party, a winter party. Yeah. And the one word that I love, and I didn't really mention it in my values, but is community. And there's a study in the 1940s out of America and they studied these, I think it's Italians or Greeks. I'm probably going to butcher this, but because uh, they were living in the 1940s till like between 70 and 90 and the Americans were like, we want to know what they're doing. So we can put it in a pill and, you know, we can yeah, live yeah. longer. And they went in and they were working in factories. I'm pretty sure a lot of them were smoking. They were in a carb high diet, but every night there was like the mums and dads were sat on the streets drinking espresso. If someone went to work, the kid had three other families they could go to and they put it down to community. Yeah. So if community can do that with age, like working in a co-working space like this, where I firmly believe there's a great culture mm -hmm. and great community, I think it's amazing because off the back of COVID for a lot of organizations, I think this is what people need. They don't want to be going back to their little pokey office. Mm -hmm. This is the, I think this is the future personally, because I think overall well-being. Stuff it. <laughs> overall, I know what you mean. It's a bit more yeah. experience led, isn't it? It's, you know, it's quite, I like to think it's what we've built here is thoughtful. There's, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's more than just a kind of fancy fit out. hundred percent. It's um, yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah, and I, I guess like so, I've only worked in the conventional offices um, in my career before here, and it's just you've got the opportunity. You've got the opportunity mm -hmm. to have those conversations with someone if you are feeling a bit lonely. You've got the opportunity to come in, but you've also got the opportunity to stay at home. But you know that you can come to a great space. Yeah. If you don't want to come in, you know that once a month you can go to an event where you can meet people. It's like it's social it, cohesion. Yeah, yeah. It's, it just scre it screams. Yeah. What, it screams one of your big. And I'm not trying to pump you up it just screams one of the main values which is well-being because people can then take it into their own hands of how much of that because if you're an extrovert you might want to be in every day going to all the events yeah if you're an introvert you might just go work at home and go to the social events or whatever but it's so yeah, yeah it's i think the way, the way it's been done it's been good yeah that's good final question and deliberately kind of super vague like what's what's the future for for you for pete mind i know you're obviously your wife has joined you in the uk you're relatively new to the UK after obviously living in Australia. So like, what's, what's next for you? What's next for you guys? Um, well, yes. And for, I say that like the business personally, anything, no yeah, right or wrong. For, for, peak, for peak mind, like I've, I've only been operating since April, May. It's mm -hmm. still very young. 
just building with clients. I think the thing is I was very lucky in Australia. I was there for 10 years. I didn't need to do much to, to get work. So like over here, it's been great. It's been a learning curve because I've been having to put a lot more work in. So yeah, just to build up my clients, I want to um, start adding more courses to the business. There may be one or two more courses that I offer. Like long-term goal would maybe get someone to help facilitate some of the courses if it becomes busy enough. And yeah, just basically just keep on spreading the message. I do this work because I genuinely believe in helping people. I do this work because if I could help my mom and dad when they, when I was a kid, you know, I yeah. do this work because when I was down and out, if someone had checked in with me, I do this work because I care. Yeah. So for me, yeah, I want it to grow, but I'm happy for it to grow organically. And, and yeah, and in terms of a personal level, yeah, just, just uh, get, keep getting to know Bristol. Um, I'm sure we'll get a few more beers. At some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But so far it's been everybody, everybody in the building has been welcoming. I've actually made some like fr- some decent friends while being at impact, which is great. And yeah, just, I guess it's still acclimatize in all aspects of my life to being back in the UK. So yeah, that's good. Well, thank you. Um, thank you to Matt of, uh, of Peak Minds. Thank you for listening to episode four of the Making Impact podcast. And thank you to our audience for listening. We will add LinkedIn details and Matt's details to the uh, podcast when they go out. But thanks again. Cheers, guys. Thank you for tuning in to the Make an Impact podcast. You'll find links to all of our guests in the description below. Don't forget to give us a follow on Instagram and LinkedIn and subscribe to the podcast.